When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Daily Records Off The Record podcast, our weekly chat with some of the biggest names to have graced the Scottish game as we dig beneath the surface to get the inside track on the biggest stories by the men who made them happen. I'm David McCarthy and I'm joined as always by Keith Jackson and we're both delighted to be joined today by an Australian who is held dearly in the hearts and minds of every Celtic supporter. No, not Ange Postacoglu, although no doubt his name will crop up in the conversation at some point, but Scott McDonald, the former Scotland strike, uh, former Celtic striker, who scored 64 goals, including some unforgettable Champions League crackers in a three-year Parkhead stint that was only part of a long and illustrious career that also saw him represent his country 26 times. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, almost Scotland. Not quite. Um, obviously played for Australia in the end, but uh, that's something we can probably talk about as we go along here. That's right. I tried to get you to sign for Scotland. Yeah, you did at one point. I think obviously uh, with your contact with Walter um, at that point, I think uh, there was contact made. Um, there was more than one time that was made, but um, yeah, in the end, still probably yeah. In my mind, I obviously chose Australia for for the reasons of being born here and starting my career here. And do you ever regret that? Um, look, I, I've spoken openly about that previous and uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And in terms of obviously reaching the, the highest level and, and playing at, you know, World Cup level, I think you know, choosing Australia was the right choice, um, but that didn't quite work out the way it was meant to, um, which is obviously a, a huge regret probably the only thing that stings me throughout my whole career still to the, you know to this day a little bit but I'm more at peace now obviously with it but uh look I think being or living in in Scotland and the UK for as long as I did you know still now probably more than my you know time in Australia you know all my adult life was in the UK and um you know for me I felt very much Scottish uh come from Scottish heritage with mum and dad and was brought up you know, with Scottish football and, and being a Celtic fan. So, and look, just all my teammates as well, they just got me at Celtic and whatnot. So for me, it was, yeah, it was a tough decision, but the decision by the time I got to Celtic was already made for me. And I, and I wanted to play for Australia, but, um, you know, the coaches had different ideas. How close did you come, Scott? Just remind me, how close did that all come? Did you actually speak to Walter about it? Did you? Um, I spoke... To my mild pass about it, it actually started before Walter actually got the job. Um, mm -hmm. It was previous to that, and and my mild pass was obviously assistant coach at at Muddle at that time, and uh, obviously he was trying to get me to join the the Scotland under twenty one squad. Um, previous to that, 
Um, and obviously Bertie Vokes was was in charge. And at that at that point, um, playing under twenty ones level was just wasn't for me. And and then he left, and and Walter took over. And then they were having B games, you know, national team B games, which didn't classify as a as an out now sort of international game, which I just wasn't willing to put myself forward for. Um, mm-hmm. the, I was asked to play in one game. I think it was at, uh, at Rugby Park. Actually, there was a Scotland B game against someone. I can't remember who it was against, but I, I actually declined it um, because I felt if you're going to commit, then you have to commit to me um, and then give me a full cap. But that just never eventuated. That was still at Motherwell at the time. I think if I was at Celtic, that would have been a different story. But I was still at Motherwell, so um, at that time they weren't willing to do that. So I just. You know, I, I chose to play for Australia, and and I think rightly so. You know, what I mean, you, you go with your heart and and what's meant to be at that point. And and for me, you know, I developed as a young Australian player. I, I left at the age of sixteen, but I never got that opportunity. But I only got that opportunity because I was playing for my national team under seventeens level, and we went to the World Youth mm-hmm. Cup and played in the finals there. And from that, I got my opportunity. So there, there is a level of loyalty towards that. And then throughout that, I I played through every uh, campaign with. You know, under 20 levels, actually twice under Ange, um, which we'll get to. And, and then obviously for the national team itself. So uh, it was a wonderful experience. 26 caps could have been a lot more, but, but um, sometimes these things happen in football. How, you know, if Scotland had said, uh, right, forget about the B stuff, the B games, but here's a cap for, uh, you know, a full international, would you have gone for it at that point? I probably would have, yes. Yeah, I, I, I probably would have at that point, yes, absolutely. Um, but again, that would have took for them to have actually committed to that. Um, but they never did. So, like, it was, it was kind of that was the deal. Like, if you show me a bit of commitment, then I'll show you some as well. I live in Scotland. I feel Scottish. I've been away a long time, um, but it never actually got to that point. So it was, it was never really um, anything where I had to make a proper decision at that point in time. Like, I mean, as a, as a young guy, Scott, oh, were you 16, 17 when you, you made the decision to, to leave Australia to come to the UK? That's, um, you know, that, that's a big moment for, for any yeah. kid of that age to make such a big, massive, life-changing decision. Look, I to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to go. Um, if it was up to me, I would have still been hanging out with my pals, you know, in my high school, um, doing what regular kids want to do. Um, but as it was, the commitment that obviously my mum and dad had showed throughout that period and, and the sacrifices that were made. Look, mum was totally against it, but I think dad was the sort of the. the you know the the four figure that actually pushed it and said look we've got to let him go we've got to let this happen because if we don't then we'll regret it as well as he will for the rest of his life he's got to at least try um and get over there and um and see how he does um so i actually went across to southampton they approached us after the world youth cup we made the we actually made the final of that world youth cup and we got beat by brazil in penalties Eight seven, um, Adriano and Danny Alves were a part of that Brazilian squad. They had a, a wonderful team. We had an exceptional young team at that point um, with the national setup, and just it shows you what you can do when you've got a good coach and you're structurally right and you spend a lot of time together as a young group. 
um, from that we all benefited and um, got the reward of obviously a lot of us got the opportunity to go overseas and that was the case with Southampton and look we, we had a look at it me and my dad we went for a week um, it was interesting because I was there for a week and I think I was about two days in and a still a good friend of mine Brian Howard was like um, pulled me aside after two days and went look uh, the coaches sort of you know told the players to kick you and i was like all right okay yeah, well, why is that oh because you're an aussie and you've come in with all this swagger and he's he's so he's talking about trying to bring you down a peg or two so just be careful um so that was my welcoming to english football at that point um, which sort of gave you a sort of a wake-up call before you even got there that this is what it's going to be like if you get there um Who's it's the manager easy gone? and people are going to make it tough for you and you're an outsider um, I can't remember the youth team coach's name, probably for a good reason. <laughs> um, but um, the, the actual head coach at that time was Dave Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave Jones lasted. Dave Jones lasted twenty four hours, and he left. Um, obviously, due to all, all the controversy that was going on at that mm -hmm. time. Um, I actually met the, the then chairman at that point and he had a big black eye and everyone was talking about that Dave Jones had actually punched him in the face when he told him he was, you know, on gardening leave. However, it was a hockey, it was a hockey injury by, uh, by all accounts, apparently. Um, but then obviously 24 hours later in walked, uh, Glenn Hoddle and John Gorman, who were absolutely brilliant, I have to say. And John Gorman was a, a wonderful man and a great liaise between first team and the rest of the football club. He was, you could see why he went everywhere with Glenn, um, even within the England setup, because he was just a special man and made everyone feel uh, special um, within that group. And you need people like that to be successful. And he was certainly a, a lot of the reason why I think Glenn, you know, done well as a, as a coach at times because he, he had John with him. How close were you at this period to knocking on the first team door? Still a bit off. Look, yeah, look, it took me about 12 months. I think the first six months, I came halfway through a season. So I, I, I come in the January window. And as you can imagine, as a 16-year-old boy, uh, moving halfway across the world, not having any parenting or people to to tell you what to do. It's sort of, uh, yeah, you're living the life fantastic and start to realise there's other things yeah. out there. Um, <laughs> but after That's about, not, after after about six months, after, uh, oh, come on, hey, enough of that. Um, I was always well behaved, you know, but um, like after about six months, it become a reality of the reason why you were actually there. And I think a lot of us foreign boys that were coming over, because there was quite a few Aussies that come, went through that period of the first six months of thinking it was great being away from home and living the life fantastic, no parenting and, and just, you know, going out there and, you know, having a different type of lifestyle, but you soon, you know, realized that, you know, there for a reason, put the head down and um, managed to sort of, you know, start edging closer towards um, that first team playing a lot more. The, the beauty of back then guys was that, if you played in the reserves, it was Premier League reserves. So it was proper mm -hmm. reserve football. You had senior men you were playing against. So I remember playing against Chelsea at one point and you had Winston Bogart who was on 50 grand a week. And people were telling me he only flew in 
he flew in every day from from Ajax, uh, from Amsterdam, Amsterdam just to come and train and then fly home. You know what I mean? It was incredible. <laughs> um, you had yeah, you had uh, Albert Ferrer, uh, Damp, you know players like that playing against you. Uh, Good Johnson, no, Mikel Forsell was playing. Um, you know, there were just top, top players in all the Premier League sides. Um, and it left a big impression. It was, and it was fantastic to get that experience. And then not to say that, on the other hand, we had the likes of the experience, Francis Benali, um, Jason Dodd every now and again played, uh, Matt Letizia, um, Gary Monk, who obviously went on to be, you know, Swansea manager, um, Dan Petrescu, Andre Kanchelskis was playing with us. Um, Joe Tess, I mean, there were just so many players that, that would come and play in the reserves and it was proper learning time for us um, as young players and to play alongside them. Don't get me wrong, sometimes when they played, you, your team was worse off because some of them didn't want to play, right? Because yeah. they'd rather be the first team. So you had to do a lot more running. I When when Matt played, didn't realise you were actually doing all the running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you weren't getting any chances that night because you were... <laughs> doing all his running for him, he was getting the chances, and you were just being the runner. But uh, it was it was a wonderful experience. They managed to break through. Glenn had left to go to Tottenham. Stuart Gray had got caretaker role, and then took over completely. And um, I managed to then sort of break into the first team. And I'll never forget my debut because it was nine eleven. It was on 9-11. My, my, my actual yeah. first team senior debut was on, on 9-11, which was incredible. Um, Brighton Hove Albion away in the League Cup and we're all sitting in the hotel room and then all of a sudden everyone's bashing on your door. Turn on the news, turn on the news. So it was um, a day that obviously for a lot of reasons I'll never forget. Um, the game went ahead, which was touch and go because um, everyone was a bit sceptical about obviously what had just happened. But... It went ahead and we won the game 3-1 because we'd been struggling in, the, in the, the Premier League itself and then come off the bench on a couple of occasions and the manager just wanted to make sure that he was bringing me in, bringing me out. Um, and in the end, though, like uh, I think it was probably four or five weeks later, then Stuart Gray actually obviously left his job. He got sacked. Um, and then um, in come Gordon from there on in and then my life began with Gordon Strachan. <laughs> a sliding door moment. Yeah, absolutely. So because we both hated when, each other at that point. So, when, you know what I mean? It was like, uh, we, we, we didn't get on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the decision to move north um, come, when did you because I think, did you have a trial at Dundee United? But that never worked out, obviously. Basically, with uh, being at Southampton, the team was struggling. He wanted experience in his team. He brought in Paul Telfer, Paul Williams, people that he knew from Coventry. They needed to get results. They needed to stay in the Premier League. Second year, finishing the top half of the table. Uh, FA Cup final against Arsenal. Um, he was very honest the one thing that gordon was always was honest you know um first six months were very tough with him there first impressions last with the man a lot of the time uh, you feel uh, if you don't get off on the right foot with him then you're never gonna 
Um, he just gets a feel for you. And if he trusts you from the day one or he likes what he sees, then he'll he'll stick with you. If he doesn't, then you're in for a tough time. It's as simple as that with Gordon at times. And, and I learned that, you know, the hard way pretty much. But I busted my balls in the, in the, in the off-season and thought, I'm going to come back, give him my best shot. I'm ready to go on the first day. I knew it was going to be hard. I wanted to, you know, finish top of the, the running. I get the old fish hook, right? Coming, you need to go and see the gaffer in the office first day, right? So this is before first session, ready to go. And then uh, get into his office and went, right, right, you can leave. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get a game in my first team. You need to be a man. You need to go and play first team football. You're really not going to get in my team and you're not going to enjoy playing 23. So you're better off just trying to find something. And Huddersfield have been on t in touch, and yeah, your ex-assistant, you know, as always, you know, Gordon being as blunt as he is, and um, being an eighteen-year-old boy, I was like, well, f this, then I'm gone, you know. So <laughs> that's a lot of ways, uh, um, you know, and I think that's probably why we didn't get a lot to start with, um, <laughs> and I, I'll never forget there was one moment in training there was one moment this is this was obviously prior to this and going you're magnificent today but why can't you be that every day and i just i actually bit my tongue for once can you believe that uh -huh. and um and i was like thinking though because you don't let me that's why because you're always on my case but um i wasn't brave enough to say that to him at the time he probably would have respected that though but um, I just, yeah, at that time, we just, at, at that, at that time, we just weren't meant to be together. It was as simple as that. Um, he had other ideas and I, and look, he actually probably, you know, in, the, in hindsight, I didn't agree with what he did, but because I still think I could have had a career at Southampton and played in the Premier League, but at the same time, I never gave up and, and it was probably in hindsight a good thing. I had to go and uh, do it the hard way realistically and talk about Dundee United there yes um after there was a rigmarole of things that happened there after me leaving Southampton I had a period at Bournemouth we got promoted from League Two to League One ITV deal crashed promised a deal never heard anything from Sean O'Driscoll for two months even though he said he was giving me a deal but then failed to answer any phone calls from my agent and which was completely embarrassing and, and disrespectful but these things happen in football all the time and you hear them all the time and just little things like that that go through everyone's career. Um, but you, you're made to sit there for two months, hope and pray and wishing what's going on as a young, you know, aspiring player. Um, sliding doors moment again, though, you move to Wimbledon on a month to month contract with them in administration looking to move to Milton Kings Dons. Absolutely terrible time, you know, driving up from Southampton every day, then sort of wishing to go home. And then, uh, you know, obviously ex player Dave McPherson who became an agent alongside um, Aussie counterpart, Lou Sticker, took me on board and, and, and sort of convinced me to, they had took me to Dundee United, but it never worked out there. And um, I ended up going back to Wimbledon and, and sort of branching off to them. But then they come back to us and said, look, mother will want to take you and have a look at you. And I turned them down. I said, no, I said no to Dave first up. And I was like, I'm not going, I don't want to go. I just had enough by that point of just rejection and people messing me around and, and just felt I need to go home and be with my family and reset the whole thing because it was just a, it was a difficult period as a young man. And 
you know, living in, I was living at my now wife's uh, parents' place as well. And it was just, yeah, it was challenging. Um, but again, these stories are very real and, and, and happened to a lot of boys. Um, but it was Dave who actually convinced me, Dave McPherson, to say, you know what, like, what do you got to lose? You go up there, they say no, you go home anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's how stubborn and that's how hard things were starting to get. That I was still even, you know, considering not even doing that because I was just that that annoyed and fed up with everything that was going on in the football game. Did did you have your flight booked to go home then? You're basically bags packed and you're ready to go. Um, pretty much the only thing that was keeping me here was obviously Claire, Keith, you know, like my now wife. Yeah. At that point, I mean, we'd been together three and a half years at that point and I think um, that was the thing sort of holding me back still um, football wasn't weird was that I never actually there was a good and a bad thing I think there was a few things that got me in trouble because of my attitude but the the attitude actually helped me as well because I never I never deteriorated away from you know my own belief of my own ability it was sort of like no one's gave me the opportunity to just allow me to be me I need someone who's gonna you know give me that opportunity just to be me um so I never actually felt that I wasn't good enough. It was just the fact that no one was willing to give me the opportunity to actually thrive. Um, as <laughs> stuffed up as that sounds. Um, but yeah, as a young boy, that's that's how I thought. Um, and it kind of worked in my favor and, and went to Motherwell. And, and I swear it was like the very, I think it was like first day training. It was 11 v 11, first team against the Stiffs. And then... I, I can remember it vaguely, but I, I, obviously Stephen Cragen talks about it and was like to Terry, you have to sign this kid because I'd torn them up. We ended up, I think we beat them by a couple of goals that day and scored a couple. And it was like, who's this kid? Um, and then within two days, Terry had signed me. And basically that was, that was all I needed. Terry was brilliant. Like, you know, I, I phoned Terry up recently to you know just before my career ended and said thank you very much you know i appreciated everything that he did for me and he was sort of like well you did it i was like no but i wouldn't have done it without your belief because that's what i needed i needed someone to give me that opportunity i needed someone to believe in me and allow me to thrive and as much as i was still a little shit you you made me do that so (laughs) it was it was great and he was he was fantastic for me um and such a man manager and a, and a motivator for the players um, that were there. And um, I really enjoyed my time under Terry. It was, it was wonderful. And um, yeah, mother was, you know, the, the perfect storm for me and, and it's still a, a club that I cherish and it's very special to me. Yes. Everyone knows I'm a Celtic supporter. And I play for Celtic and I think a lot of mother fans take a little bit, of, you know, they don't like that, but uh, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, my relationship with Motherwell and, and the fans and, and what they mean to me and what they've done for me is very special. And I think they deserve to hear that at times as well, um, as much as they think that they, they don't get that respect. But they, they have my utmost respect because of the opportunity that that club gave to me and um, was managed to come back and repay that a little bit more as well on, you know, the second time round, which was wonderful. Got to ask, obviously, a bit the... The, the helicopter Sunday day, which obviously Terry was the manager that day as well. Yeah. Um, take us into the dressing room after that game, Scott. I mean, what was he like 
what were you like? You know, and how any kind of devastation was like in the dressing room next door to you? First of all, how much how much are you gonna pay me for talking about this again? <laughs> 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 Obviously I'm you know what I mean. It's a defining moment um, though, eh? Friends, you get a friend's fee. You know, I mean that's it. <laughs> Look, absolutely. For if I had a dollar for every time, I wouldn't even bother talking to anyone. Um, <laughs> but but look, yeah, look, it was a defining moment, absolutely, in, in my career. There's no question about that. If that hadn't gone down the way it had have, then would I have had the career that I had? I'm not so sure. No, absolutely. Um, looking in that game, we had had a wonderful season up to that point. Um, we'd reached the, the League Cup final that year. Um, I was having a very good season myself. And look, we went on a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like... I think I was on probably about 300, 350 pounds a week at that point, being real with you, right? And at that point, like we were on, I think it was like at times 500 pounds a win. That's how much we were on. And then in top six, because we'd made it, the club had agreed to give us double bonuses for any wins that we had in that top six period. So those five games that we had, we were on double bonuses. So anything we were to get was unbelievable. It was amazing money. So from that perspective, we had a lot to play for still um, in that last game because, you know, for, for us, the reality is like that, that pays for your holiday, a lot of these things, yeah, you know, like or what you're going to do in the summer. You know what I mean? Like, so this is the gap and the, the massive disparity and still is in Scottish football that people tend to forget, you know, that what, you know, you get at other clubs and what the money that some of the younger players are on and, and whatnot and then people want to like talk crap about you and say you did this and shouldn't have done that hey mate i'm actually trying to make a career for myself you're the one who's on 20 30 bags a week don't complain to me about me doing my job and you're not doing yours right <laughs> i'm I, i'm actually i got to the point where i've pissed off with those chats and people talking crap right and how they want to talk about my uh, actions in that game Worry about your own actions and what you didn't do because essentially that's why you didn't win the game, not because of Scott McDonald, because there was chances there for them to create their own history and they failed to do so. Um, Who was it, How Scott? it went down thereafter was... I don't, need to, I don't need to mention names. Everyone everyone knows everyone's, everyone knows who's talked about it and what they've said, so I don't need to talk about them in name. You know, They want to talk about my name a lot, but I don't need to do the same. You know, and for me, for me, it's, I did my job. I was a motherwell player. Did I celebrate? Yeah, I did. Did I know what I was doing? Hell no. I didn't know. I still don't know what I did to that day. I was in shock. Um, I was in awe of my first goal because of probably one of my best goals I ever scored, you know? So in terms of how it come to me and, and the reaction I did to hit it over my head, um, it was a wonderful goal, absolutely wonderful goal. You could have put two keepers in there. I don't think he saves it, you know? So it was just that instinctive, how it, how it hit me and I hit it over my head. Um, and I think from that, that was the reason why I did celebrate. The second one was just, oh my God, I can't believe that's happened again. But from that point, you're walking back to the halfway line and you're shitting yourself because <laughs> you just realized then exactly what's happened. Um, but to that point, you don't because you've just, scored goals you, you score goals you 
you score goals against a big club, you you celebrate. You, you don't think anything of it at that time. Like people, people talk about because you're a Celtic fan or not. I know loads of players that, you know, name me one player that doesn't try against any team that when they're a professional footballer. Not many. And if they do, they don't deserve to have played the game either, by the way. Yeah. You know, so you're there to do a job and, and play for your club and play for your team that you play for and your boys that you're with. You know, so we didn't know. I didn't know if Celtic plays anything. They didn't know me anything. They weren't going to give me anything for free, were they? So, <laughs> you know, um, as much as they tended to offer you it at times, certain ones, um, as you know, I was thinking it was banter and disrespect, but you know, that's fine. That's all part of the game, but don't cry about what I did, you know, so worry about what you didn't do. That's, that's always my gripe with the, the whole situation of that and people talking about it. Um, but it is what it is. And I went on to, to make a tough decision after that because, well, it wasn't tough for me, but it was tough for everyone else probably to accept that I chose Celtic, but I was willing to take that pressure on and take that challenge on when people seen that happen and people thought I'd probably just be a, a part-time player there. Um, but I went there with all the intentions to, to believe in myself, back myself and, and, and go there. And that was always the club I wanted to play for. But that's an interesting point, Scott, because I think the first time you and I ever speak is about six months before that move to Celtic. And we had a very interesting yeah. conversation. <laughs> Do you want to talk us through it? Well, yeah, I mean, you are, yeah, well, you allowed to talk? Am I allowed to talk about that now? Yeah, Are you yeah. Okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You tried to sell me out for Rangers, didn't you? And um, you know, at that point, it was kind of like through Walter sort of asking the question, and and for me, it was kind of like at that point, I'm I'm not going to get the call from Celtic after what's just happened. Certainly not. That's just in. The reality of how you think that there's no way they're going to come calling for you. Uh, Rangers did come calling, and it was like, well, I'm at Motherwell right now. I need to grow as a player. I need to, if I want to get better, um, what a wonderful opportunity to play in European football and a chance to win trophies at that time. Um, and it was something that was of interest for me, absolutely. Um, but, you know, good things come to those who wait and, and everything happens for a reason, they say, don't they? Um, at that do point, you, it wasn't you... meant to be. Motherwell didn't want it to happen. Now, I've got to say, Scott, do, do you think if that conversation doesn't take place, if, you know, this is this is Rangers trying to find out if, you know, this mad Celtic fan, Aussie, would consider making the move? Obviously, the story gets out. It goes right down to the, the, the 11th hour on, on transfer deadline day. It, it doesn't happen. Do you think Celtic happens if if all that doesn't happen? Do you think Celtic would have come in for you if, if they didn't, you know, if, if, if it wasn't for the fact that the new Rangers were no. trying to sign? No, I don't. Do you believe that? No, I think that's exactly what happened. I think that Peter Lowell saw an opportunity and just went straight in there and thought, I'm not going to let that happened to us. And, and so he made sure that, that he went in and got you. Well, I can't. well, let's be real. If you're looking at history at that point, there was many of those signings, mm -hmm. neck and neck, toe to toe with both clubs. Scott Brown, Kevin Thompson, Chris Killen, Derek Reardon, 
Scott McDonald. You know, there was many. There was many at that point that it was neck and neck for both clubs to make sure that they didn't miss out on some of the, the local talent that was in Scottish football at that point. So I, I think definitely, I think it was definitely a turning point that made Celtic turn their, turn their heads and go, are we going to let that happen? I, look, and I think my performances against Celtic when Gordon was there, and that was the reason why, though, um, that they did come call him. It wasn't just because Rangers were interested. It was because of the performances that I had played. And, and look, speaking thereafter, it was one game we played We played Celtic in a League Cup semi-final um, at Hamden. We lost 2-1 on the night. Um, and I remember, well, Steve McManus told me thereafter when, obviously, I went to Celtic, but Steve McManus played as a right-sided centre-half that night. And deliberately Gordon played him there because I was always, which looking back, yes, I did, always used to drift to the left-hand side and cut in and scored a lot of goals from that area. Um, when I was at Mother, used to drift in the channels there and, and then try and, you know, be 1v1 with, with full-backs or centre-backs and try and take you on from there. So he wanted a left-footed player to play on the right side of, you know, right centre-back, which is rare. But it was because he knew that I was going to cause the biggest threat of coming in and cutting inside. Um, so that's a level of respect that you don't see all the time in, in Scottish sure. football with the, a, le- a lesser football club. Um, I didn't really take that in at the time, but obviously that shows you if you look back at things that game that that, that was the case. And and they were the reasons Gordon had already sort of looked at me and, and sounded me out as well. So. I think that was just the the pinnacle of it. The pushing point was obviously the tipping point was then that Rangers had already tried to to jump in before that. I think Celtic were in mind of it, or Gordon was at least. But I think then that made the decision for him. And I I still think it's one of the oddest transfers because I had two years left on my deal and a deal was done and agreed in March time for a transfer fee, which realistically, guys, that doesn't happen. usually happens at the end of a season, but I'd already signed the pre-agreement in the March time um, to go to Celtic, which is, yeah, it's not really heard of, really. Well, you, you were raging at the time. When, when, the Rangers, when the Rangers thing collapses, I remember you were furious with Motherwell. But it does turn out to be the defining moment of your career, doesn't it? This turns out to be the best. When, you know, the rage takes hold when the deal doesn't go through, but it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but the thing was, it was never going to affect me. It was actually, it gave me more confidence than anything else. It never affected me because it's like, I remember me and Mo Malpass had a few few arguments and ding-dongs about the whole situation, about the Rangers one. And uh, he was talking about Jim McLean never letting him go anywhere. And I was like, well, you're not Jim McLean for one, and I'm not you, you know? <laughs> it was kind of, kind of that discussion at that point. But he kind of is like Jim McLean looking back, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, like it was, I was difficult to deal with. There's no question, but like it was, it was never going to affect my game. I ended up scoring a double in the Scottish Cup the next two days later after window shuts. It was like, right, game on again. And then we had a, an argument about me signing the contract on a Friday and we were playing, we played Dunfermline on Saturday and Mo, Mo turned around and said, you're not going there to sign that. And I was like, I am. I'm going because Cobbs agreed the fee. I'm going. I'm signing it today. You can get stuck. Right. So I ended up going and signing it, playing the next day, scoring another double. So I was like, right, it ain't going to bother me. Like, we'll just get on with it, right? Um, managed to stay up that, that year with Motherwell um, and then look forward to the, the, the following season, which 
was a surreal off season, surreal off season because you're panicking because you're like, this is another level now. You're going in a professional environment. It was like you were in pre-season before pre-season, that whole <laughs> off season. It was incredible, you know, like just trying to get ready. Um, and thankfully, yeah, I, I, I impressed a lot um, in the first couple of weeks in Switzerland. Switzerland was was a, a great time um, and great memories um, running through the forests um, and, and doing pre-season there. And I think we've done this. Uh, <laughs> we, so we had Gregory Dupont. So Gregory's now obviously gone on to massive things with Real Madrid and, and, and the France national team as the head of strength and conditioning sports scientists. We got him from Lille at the time, was highly regarded and Gordon hardly let him do a hurdle. <laughs> when he was a Celtic, you know, he wasn't allowed to do anything. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just, just as it was back then, because Gordon was you know, worried about it, making players soft, um, which I could understand as well completely. But Gregory, Gregory was wonderful. And um, he did this, uh, this new yo-yo concept where yo-yo usually back and forth, right? You would go to a line, mm -hmm. the, the thing would beep and you would run back. Whereas this one was a full like 400 meter track and every 20 meters there was a cone and you had to get to the cone for every beep. And I, I just remember like, obviously this is my first time, like there's Tommy Gravison, ex-Real Madrid player. I'm thinking, wow, Tommy Gravison, Yuri Jarosik, he's been at Chelsea. Uh, Magic's played, you know, scored loads of goals for Celtic last year up against it. Kenny's still here talking to him going somewhere in Italy scoring goals for Scotland. All these big players in fucking hell. But, um, I remember Tommy going, oh, I'd lad, you know, with that German. There's been many a story about Tommy, and they like obviously with Cy Ferry and that. But I remember Tommy going to Gregory and he's broken, and Gregory hardly speaks English. Oh, I'd lad, what the, what's the score for this, you know? Like, and he's going, oh, you just go as far. He goes, no, 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 tell me, tell me. He's going, oh, good score is this. And he's like, right, I'll tell you what, I get to that score and I stop, no problem. And he's going, no, no, you must keep going. You must. No, 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 no! I stop. Trust me, I stop. I say, fucking. He gets to the, he gets to that, gets to that level, and he just stopped. He just stopped, and he just, he kept running. Though he ran onto the minibus. Right, come on, we go now. Like, just, just wanted to leave. Fucking, everyone's just, everyone's just looking at him, man. He was, what a character. Um, and there was many a story of him, like just some of the things that Tommy used to do in in the change room and say. He was just. Yeah, I mean, like the boys all talk about it, don't they? But yeah, I mean, my biggest memory and take of the the preseason I had in Switzerland was probably about five days in, um, doing a possession drill, which, which was tough, obviously, because it's preseason. It's back and forth, stop, reset, and um, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Burns pulled me, and and just sort of, I'll never forget, like obviously that see Mr. Celtic talking to you and just saying, um, you know, you're here for a reason. You're not here just to make numbers. We believe in you um, and you're good enough to be here. Don't worry about all the noise outside or what you've done previously. Um, it's not a problem for me, son, and it shouldn't be a problem for anyone else. Go and do the business. And that was, for me, it was more than anything that Gordon could have said or anyone could have said. If Mr. Celtic's all right with well, you, yeah, you're good. You know, um, and that's how it felt. Like no one else could say anything about it. You know, I'll never forget. Like, like I turned up, and I'll. This is no lie of word. Like not many people know this. Like I walked in, 
and it was about week one, maybe 10 days in, you get your season books. So you get your season tickets given to you um, for the for the new season. Right? So you used to get two, two each. You get two comps and you get your two season books for the season. I remember going into the, the ticket office to get them. And the lady who served me to give them, she just started abusing me. Like, literally <laughs> abusing me. Like, I'm like... You know, I play for Celtic, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> she just, she just kept going, like about the motherful thing still, and I'm like, right, okay, can I just have my two tickets and <laughs> right? <laughs> and I never forget the boss come, and then and like the boss come in and like everyone come in and like pull me in the office and say, "You're all right." I'm, like, I'm absolutely fine, but who was that? <laughs> like, you know what I mean, like. But just proper, like, it just went for me. I was like, some some Celtic fans that listen to this will go, ah, oh, too right. Like, that, you got that, you deserve that. But I was just like, <laughs> well, I'm part of the club. But, you know, after that, but again, it was just like water off a duck's back at that point. I just couldn't give a shit. Mm. I was ready just to go and that actually motivated me more. It actually mm. did me a favour. People that actually doubted me at Celtic was better than people that doubted me on the outside. Because it was just like, well, give you two fingers then. You know, because you're helping me actually be better. It's not yeah. going to make me worse. I was the type of guy, and always still am now, if you want to ask questions of me, I'll answer them. That's just my nature and my mentality. That's how I was built and got me probably to where I was. I was an Australian young boy that had no right to play professional football. If you look at law of averages, right? So my skill sets were good, but they weren't amazing particularly at that point, but my mentality got me to where I needed to get to. That was huge. And, and that's the thing that I still go on about that, that Australian football lo has lost a little bit along its way from that generation that was so successful and the, the mindsets and the mentality of the player and, and what they brought out with their talent. And as we got on, we got better. You know, I, I was certainly a good footballer by the end, but if we're talking about the beginning, it was more about you know, my aggression and my ability and my belief in my own, my own ability at that time. I remember, remember having a conversation with you. The, the... Sorry, Davey, on you go. Go on. No, I was just going to ask, um, you know, I thought that is obviously then playing Champions League, something that you wanted to do with Celtic. And I just want to against AC Milan, which, you know, obviously last minute winner, Fan comes on the pitch, Duda goes down as if he's been shot, despite the fact the guy never even really touched him. Just what that was like for your perspective. Um, again, it was obviously you scored the goal. You don't really know what's going on because you're too busy celebrating anyway. You see Dida down, you think someone's punched him. Um, there's a bit of panic after the game, a little bit of worry because of the crowd injection. You don't know what's going on. Excuse me, until like obviously you see the replays and there's not really anything in it. We didn't believe there was going to be anything to come from it because there was nothing in it. But you just, like again, you, you're not sure because people are talking about dock and points and whatnot. But um, there's a story that, that went around a lot at that point because <laughs> um, me and my wife had just moved into a new house and um, we had wanted these nice carpets and everything. And there were a lot of money because they were from America, they were imported and they were quite thick and everything i was just like yeah i want these carpets but 
<laughs> like the bonuses you got for Champions the bonuses you got for Champions League is like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so it's like so so I remember coming in and seeing my wife at that point or my you know girlfriend at the time and like in the you know the parents and the family room and that and like Claire's like just going yeah we can get the carpets it's like yeah don't worry I just want to get taste of my arm we'll just you know just, the carpets are good yeah <laughs> You know? <laughs> it's you know what I mean? And I think even that night, like uh, I remember, I remember going into the changing room, and Stephen Presley was injured at the time. Um, or no, was he? No, he must have been on the bench. He'd just come back from injury, and obviously, if you're on the bench, you still get the bono on that. And he was like, "That's brilliant! I can get that bike for my son." <laughs> yeah, just little things like that. <laughs> you know, it's just ban- just good banter, right? Like, but it was like every bit, ca- every every penny counts, you know. So it was like, yeah, it was it was good fun, um, good memories. Talk, talk about Champions We spoke to Stephen just on this and uh, on on this same show, and he said that when he came to Celtic initially, there was a bit of animosity in the dressing room, particularly from Neil Lennon, who just basically hated Elvis as a player when he was playing with Hearts. <laughs> um, did you feel any of that because of the baggage for Motherwell when you walked in? The- no, because he wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> He'd gone. So I was lucky. I didn't need to, I didn't need to get away on the pitch at that point. Yeah, he, well, he, he only for a little while because he'd gone to Forest to finish right. his career, but didn't mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it, and then ended up coming back as a coach. And obviously, as a coach, it's different as as, as you are as a competitor, as a player. So I think if we if he was there as a player, he would have gave me a few stiff ones, one hundred percent, which is fair. <laughs> and um, and like I would have would have took that. But um, me and Lenny were pretty close, um, and we're very very similar in a lot of ways. And I always always respected Lenny and, and got on really, really well with Lenny um, at that time when he was come back in as an assistant. Um, and he was passionate. I'm passionate. Um, I loved playing for the club as well and, and, and loved, you know, the big occasion. And um, he could see that. And, and I think he respected me hugely when, when I come to the club. And yeah, for me, me and Lenny always got on. But Elvis was always an antagonizer anyway. The one he used to antagonize. <laughs> The one he used to antagonise the most was Aiden McGeady. Not hard with Aiden. Anyone can antagonise Aiden. You know, like if you say something that's a bit smart out of to him, you'll you'll have a little nibble. But like um, Aiden was great value too. But Elvis, because he was getting older, always in training used to yell offside. offside. <laughs> and then Aiden would be like, "What calling offside for? Training." <laughs> offside, we man, you're a mile off. Get on with it. <laughs> and just constantly, every day, every day, I'll be like, "Was oh, that one offside as well, Elvis?" You know, like just, just funny things like that. You know, but Elvis was great. The second best dressed man in Scotland used to come in and say, "What well, he used to have his wee scarf on and that in the mornings, and his loafers." You know, so. so so you know he was he was brilliant for our changing room. Like he was a proper leader. Didn't play as much when I got there, um, but Elvis was great. I, I really got along well with Elvis, 
he used to deflect all the time. He used to like go, oh, look at you. You look like you put on a few pounds this week, me. <laughs> Man. <laughs> just like, I was like, yeah, but I'll run them off, Elvis. You, you're not even running at the moment, pal. So just take it easy, you know? Like, but just the banner was always flying. That was good. It was a proper, it was very open, honest changing room, um, proper men. Uh, and I loved it. It taught me a lot. It still has a lot of ethical uh, things about that group and how we run things that I still believe in to this day, uh, even with my own groups. Um, it's got harder because the younger generation are a little bit different, but there's still good values within what we used to have and the open honesty within that and how we used to push and drive each other. And I think both sides had that at that time, mm -hmm. um, but it was great. It was great to be a part of it. Tell, tell me this, Scott, we're talking about Champions League memories and the special moments. I remember being in a hotel in Barcelona after you'd played at the new Camp. And I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, you called me up. I'm at the bar with the press guys having a drink. You phoned me up looking for a pair of jeans because all you had was a Celtic tracksuit and Ronaldinho wanted to take you to Ibiza at a nightclub. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> To be fair, we just got knocked out, so I think it was all right, Jackie. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but um, yeah, the, I had a, quite a fair few friends that had come across for that game. Um, I think my mate ended up going to H and M anyway and getting a couple of things for me and a couple of the other boys at that time. Um, we we ended up. I won't name the other parties that were there, but we ended up um, obviously sneaking out that night down the the fire exit and. Um, we'd asked the guy to take us to a bar. This is brilliant, right? So <laughs> he's going, yeah, no problem. We take you here. Yeah, nice disco, 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 right? So we're going, right, okay. So I opened the doors and like, honestly, it was like, you know, one of those scenes out of film where you open a pub door and, and everyone just looks around at you. Right? <laughs> there's, a, there's about four or five of us and all you can see is green and white jerseys everywhere. And then fucking we come in and it wasn't a bar. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but you can imagine what it was. And we realized straight away, we're like, let's get out of here. This isn't where we're meant to be. Right? So um, and all, everyone's like, you know, just about at that point, there was no like phones or anything yeah. like that. There were, <laughs> at, that at that point, you know, they weren't, they weren't a hard thing, but it was like, wow, that, that was a, we got out of trouble on that one. Jeez, oh. But um, we ended up going to the nightclub afterwards and it was just, Apparently it was the place where everyone went and yeah, there was Ronaldinho and um, Deco and a few others. And as you can imagine, they had the VIP area and they'd recognize a couple of boys. There was one of our players who still had his tracksuit on. I'm not going to name his name, but casually just turned up in the nightclub with his full Celtic trackie on, which was <laughs> incredible. Fair play to him. I wouldn't have the balls to do that myself, but um, he did. And I think from that, we got recognized actually. And that's when they pulled, pulled a couple of boys up. They spoke no word of English between them two. Um, I didn't really talk to them. I felt a bit awkward. I think some of the other boys did. And then it offered some of the boys to go back to a party. But by this point, it was like 5 p.m., 5 a.m. in the morning. Obviously, bear in mind, <laughs> the game had finished. The game had finished at like 11. You're not getting home till 12, yeah. 12 at night. Anyway, so you're out late. Um, and the flight was like at 9, 9 a.m. the next day. So... Yeah, sometimes we do silly things, don't we? Um, but we're not. We weren't the we weren't the first, and I'm sure we won't be the last either. But um, all's well that ends well. And we all got on that plane, thankfully, as well.
Did, didn't Ronaldinho offer to take you to Ibiza on his, on his speedboat? At some point, no, he, well, he lived in. I think he lived in Mallorca. I think that Mallorca. was like he lived. Yeah, he lived off like off. Yeah, on the island, and like he was in his big Hummer, and it's like it's like five a.m. in the morning. You just seeing like all these one girl, two girl, three girl, four girl, five girl, <laughs> just 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 all going, just all going in his Hummer, and he's going. <laughs> in the car, uh, apparently getting people telling us that he's getting his, his, the boat back to his house because he lived, he didn't live in Barcelona itself. Um, by all accounts, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I never found out, but um, yeah, it was quite an experience. Um, yeah, good times. So how tough was it to leave, Scott? Uh, very. Probably, yeah, still now the biggest, toughest decision I ever had to make in the game. Um, it wasn't it wasn't my worst decision in my career, um, but it was certainly the hardest. You know, in terms of career path-wise, it was the right choice for a lot of reasons, um, for a lot of reasons that were sort of, yeah, it wasn't an ultimatum, but I was, I wouldn't say pushed into that, but I had, you know, no option in terms of from a financial package and perspective of that. If a club's willing to offer you a larger deal um, on a longer term contract with a lot of things to entice you to come along if they were to get to the Premier League as well. Um, and the belief I had in the manager in Gordon Strachan the only reason why I would go to the championship in the first place um, was because Gordon had went there um, or else I wouldn't have done it. That's for sure. And I just think the relationship at that point with me and, and Tony as well was, was getting a bit thin um, in terms of, I didn't think he believed in me. And uh, I think that was all for everyone to see. I, I got dropped. I think my last ever game was in a, in an old firm game and, and that was probably the, the final string for me when, when he dropped me for that game, being that my record in those games and I come on and scored as well. Um, and I, I just didn't, I didn't agree with it. Um, but again, I'm not the manager. I am now. I'm the manager now. So <laughs> it's a little, a little bit different how you think. Uh, um, yeah. And as a, as a younger, a younger player and, and how you think and it's all about you, it's totally different. And, would I have done it? Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, would I have done it any any different? No, because I just think what was on offer to me and my family, with my wife being pregnant at that time, um, and the club not wanting to offer me a pound more than what I was on, knowing that I'd, I'd signed a contract there probably a year before that, um, and there was incentives on that deal to to go and earn more money, but even then, they weren't willing to even bump that to that highest level in that contract um i just felt like there wasn't enough investment in me at the at the club or belief in me at that time and they wanted to cash in the club, so i the felt club, it was yeah. the right the time at this point scott the club at this point sounds like a bit of a shambles because you know we, we scott brown was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and you know mowbray goes to him and tells him to find a new club in the i think december time Scott comes back from injury. Next minute, he's got the armband. Everybody's all over the place. It, it didn't feel like the Celtic it had been, what, 12 months previously, 16 months previously? 
Yeah, look, uh, if you probably it'd be interesting to get Tony's thoughts on all that now. Um, and if he'd do things differently, I, I think he'd probably say yes. I think when you come into a club at that point, uh, look, he was still young as a manager when you really look back at it. Yes, he had success at Hibs, had his bit at, at West Brom, but then got relegated. Forgot that quickly, though. Um, come into Celtic and wanted to turn it around in, you know, in a day, in, in a 48-hour period almost. It was like, it doesn't work that way when a lot of things had been installed under the previous manager with that regime and all those players were there before it. It was going to be a slow burner for him because Celtic's not the type of the club that can just go and fire sale and, and bring in all these players. It just rarely happens. Um, but he wasn't willing to do that. He wanted to change things. Gordon, uh, sorry, Tony liked the flair player, the, the stylistic player, wanted to play a fashionable football, wasn't as big on the work ethic uh, or the values of hard work and trusting certain individuals. It was more about the, the skill sets of players, which I learned even at Middlesbrough was still his thing. And um, you need a mixture of both and you need it. And what we'd been brought up before that was all built on the work ethic of the team and the player first, and then the talent second. Um, whereas at times it felt probably under Tony, that wasn't the case at times. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get his take on that. But yeah, there was a lot of players that were deemed surplus to requirement. And there was a lot of upset and upheaval at the time in, time, in the changing room itself as well. There was a lot of people talking um, and were upset within that changing room. It was toxic probably you know, because there was no control. There was no control from the staff. Yeah. And you had, at that point, like Peter Grant talks to me about it and he'll probably openly say as well, it was the wrong time. He didn't want Tony to take the job. He felt he shouldn't have gone back with them as well. It was just the wrong timing. And in terms of him and Mark Venus, there was no clear message between the two. They were very separate individuals and weren't on the same pages each other and that was like everyone's looking at him and then him and then looking at the triangle at the top and he's giving you nothing it was kind of weird <laughs> kind of weird period um, for everyone um, and i think they'd admit that too and you learn from your experiences all around and as a young player or as a coach or whatever it just wasn't a good period for anyone and it turned into what it turned into eventually um yeah, and, and I think along along with that and the signings that were made and, and made to feel that you were getting pushed out a little bit. Um, and then the club not wanting to invest any more in you. It was yeah, it was it was it made sense as much as like you look back and go, Oh well, if I had have stuck around for another few months, maybe Lenny would have, you know, put me right and I would have been the same as Scott and this one. But, you know, you, you live by the sword, you die by it and at that time it was the right decision for me. You would have seen Mowbray off, though, had you, had you decided to stay hanging around. Yeah, I, I didn't do that twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even do that at Middlesbrough. Um, even though, to be fair, nah. Me and Tony, by that point, had uh, like had to kiss and make up a lot of it. Um, and in the end, I think he actually respected me as a player. That was the thing that irked me the most, that right, he might say it. he did, but... He might say he did respect me, but it's bad if a player feels he doesn't have that respect. You can't, you can't give that to a player. If a player feels that way, then you've not done your job properly, mm -hmm. you know. And I and I see that now, because I'm in that role. 
as a coach. Let me ask you about that, Scott. Now that, right, now that you're a manager, how how would you, as a manager, deal with you as a player when you were in the dressing room as a player? Yeah. I've had to deal with a couple already, and I'm very much, I'm very much understanding. I give a lot more leeway, and I and I try and make them understand that the mistakes that I made, um, don't do the same. Don't do it as bad mm. as I have. You've got to this point, but trust me when I say there's only one loser in this this argument, and it won't be me. It will always be you as a player. Trust me, I've done it. I've wore the T-shirt. You're not going to win this situation. You're always going to lose it. So <laughs> you need to decide what you want to do from here. Do you want to be part of this group? Do you want to be part of this team? Do you want to be part of a winning team? Do you want to enjoy your game? Because I still believe in you. Or do you want to take the other pathway and give it the hard one? And then it's up to you. Then you're making your own pathway for yourself. And I'm telling you, I told you so. That's how I deal with it. Because I've had those experiences. And I've, uh, and I've not always been the best individual. I can openly say that. I'm not scared to say that. Um, but again, a lot of those moments made me who I was too. You know, and, and, get, and got me to where I was. I, I, I don't regret a lot. Um, there'll be things along the way that, yeah, should have handled better. Um, but I like the thing I understand my players better for my own errors and judgments throughout. And I use them. I don't forget them. And I think that's a big problem in the game where a lot of managers get a job and then they forget what they were like or what changing rooms were like. And they want to change a room to be a certain way, which just isn't right because it doesn't go down that way. You know, you've always got to remember who you were as a player and what players like and what they want. You know, if you do that and you're honest yeah. with them and you've always got to be honest mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing I always hold, you know, the two things is honesty and trust. Uh, one don't come without the other. So um, you've got to be as honest as you possibly can because it'll catch up with you in the end because players talk. If you're not going to be honest, they all talk, they'll catch you out. And <laughs> if you do that, they don't trust you mm -hmm. and you're gone and your change room's dead. And obviously, that's something that you, you fancy being... want to implement over here. But at some point, Scott, you know, I, I, I can see there's a little bit of an itch there for for you to come back across this side of the world. And, and you know, well, I tell you what, yeah. it's not it's not a bad thing just now being an Australian manager in Scottish football. Yeah, that's true. Or Australian player, for that matter. Anything Australian, you'll take it. By, by <laughs> we're, 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 we're trading everything to you guys. That's why our economy is doing so well. You know? <laughs> so, like, yeah, one more won't hurt, hey? But, look, to answer that question, absolutely. Yeah, look, I've got a, a passion for it, um, a desire. I've now been in my job 18 months over here. I've learned a hell of a lot. Um, you know, it is a you know, a part-time basis in terms of three nights a week plus game. Um, but I've found that this has been more challenging in, in terms of because you have to understand people. You have to understand the players. If you ask anyone that's been in that moment where players have got other things as well as football to deal with and on their minds, you have to, you have to play your role in that. You have to support them. You have to have empathy within that, something that I always didn't have as a player. Um, but you have to start understanding their needs not what you need as well um, and that's been a great learning curve and as much as you can have your ideas as a coach and your coaching philosophy as everyone likes to say now um, 
it's how you deal with the people first because they need to believe in you and they need to buy into what you are and what you can do and what you can give them. And if you can give them that, then uh, you're on the right path to doing something uh, special with them for them to buy into then what your ideas are. And then if they buy into those ideas and they are actually good, then you'll get your success from there because you are good, right? But you need firstly them to, to believe in what you're trying to give them. Um, and that's always understanding the people first rather than giving them tactics first. So what's the dream for Scott McDonald, the manager? Scott McDonald, the player, achieved everything that he wanted to. You know, yeah. Is it the same story? Is it a return to Celtic Park? Is it become the second Celtic Australian manager? What's, what's the dream? No, I, I never always, I never look ahead that far. I'm not a dreamer. I'm just a, I'm a realist in everything I do and want to be the best I possibly can be. And I'll never, ever not want more. You know, I always want more. So whatever that brings me, I'll still want more. You know, yeah, I want to be better. Cool. I want, <laughs> I always want to get, I always want to get better. I always want something more out of, you know, the people that are with me. Um, and I always want to go somewhere better because that's just me. I always want to get better. I always want the best. Um, so I'll never lose that. But I never, I never like dream big. I just get on with the next day, the next day, the next day. It's all about what can I do now? You know, it's not going to be about a week's time. It's about how can I get better now? Because that's the most important thing. It's not about yesterday. It's not about my career. I've had my career. I don't talk about it. I don't care about it. Players don't want to know about it, right? Because you use your experiences from it, but it doesn't matter anymore. It's what you do now. It's what you do in the next day. You've got to move on quick. And you've got to do that for your players and as well as for yourself. I think that's that's really important for me. Look, yeah, I, I believe myself. There's no question um, in my ability and anything I can do and want to do. And yeah, look, I'd, I'd love a crack at, you know, the big time at some point. Absolutely. Um, again, you've got to earn your stripes and I'm doing that now. And I'm actually not in any rush either. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've always feel now that as a player, every time I wished for something, it became further away. It was when I actually got my head down and actually did the work and I actually proved myself and I did good work that things started to materialize. So I think that you've got to just remember that um, as you get older and just do the hard work. The, the only one last thing that I, you know, your experiences of Ange, because, you know, since you've went to the other side of the world, he's come over this side and bloody hell. <laughs> uh, is it what you expected from what you knew of him? I mean, because he, he didn't. Let's be honest, everybody over here now knows what to expect from Ange, but when he arrived, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought, hmm, this is a bit of a roll of the dice. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm the first to, you know, be over the top with Ange and what he's done there and, and how big a feat it is, particularly that first season. But if the truth be told, I was uh, I questioned in terms of his ability uh, but as a person, um, to be able to give players the amount of time needed or the ability for them to believe in who he is at a club like Celtic. Um, because he'd had previous it, you know, in Australian football um, and he'd been to Japan. But Andrew's always very, very cold with his players. Not warming, mm-hmm. doesn't really speak to them. We know that. He's given you that that idea, that direction of what he's like. Players have told you stories. Um, 
I genuinely believe he wasn't like that to begin with when he first went through the door at Celtic. He had to give more. Mm-hmm. But with the experiences that he had gained and the amount of knowledge he has and the amount of winning he's, he's had, um, he's not a stupid man. You know, he understands and reflects and knows what he needs to do. Now he can step back yeah. because he's earned that right. He's earned that right. Everyone knows who he is. That he's got the respect now. So he doesn't need to walk through a door and talk to Callum every day. But I bet you he was during the, the, the first period. He was talking to the mm-hmm. important ones and making sure that they, they bought in and understood what he needed, what he wanted, you know. And that was the thing that really surprised me the most because that was the thing I questioned. It wasn't, it was never about tactics or I keep going on about this, don't I? And it wasn't about tactics or football-wise knowledge. He's got all that. He's an excellent football tactician and, and manager and how he's evolved and developed since his Brisbane Raw days to then going to the national team, then into Yokohama, and then obviously coming into Celtic and doing what he's doing. It was just in terms of that, on that human basis, could he get players to buy into what he was? And it shows you what a special character and manager and leader that he is, that he's been able to do that uh, and more uh, with this group, as we can see. It's it's another special period for Celtic as a football club uh, with him in charge at the moment. Um, he's still cold and as ruthless as ever. He'll never lose that. Um, he's very cutting when he needs to be. He won't mess around. He will not be messed around. Um, yeah, he just gives you the cold shoulder. It's as simple as that. I, look, I, I gave a story. I gave a story. I, I had two campaigns with him um, as a young, you know, like national team player for the under twenties. He never called me once to when he was in charge of the Socceroos. He wasn't interested. You know, I was at Millwall at the time and never even got a sniff. Um, I've still never asked him about that. Maybe one day I will, um, but. You know, that was just, if he didn't want you or didn't like you, that was just it. He wasn't going to reach it. He wasn't even going to give you an excuse or an explanation. He's moving on. He doesn't need to. You know, that's that's the way he works. You know, and you've got to respect that. Um, even as captain of his under-20s um, and as the most experienced campaigner at that point, because I'd been in my third campaign as a in these World Cups, I'd most experienced by, by far, and um, pulled me in his hotel room at the time and we were playing Brazil. Um, we needed a result to go through the next round and just said, you're not playing. I was like, I'm not, I'm not playing. I'm not going <laughs> to start in this game. Don't, you don't suit the style of what we need to beat this team. Yeah. Obviously, a captain needs your support boys. Da, da, da. Like, at this point, I'm going, captain? I'm not a captain, am I? I'm fucking on the bench. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> um, but like, um, we won. We won. So how, who am I to say that he was wrong? Mm-hmm. I, I did have a joke with him actually when he was back home recently about it though, because things stick with players. So you, you have memories and you remember these moments, um, particularly if you're a captain and you get dropped, you're like, when does that happen? <laughs> and the national team as well, you're like, he goes totally stabbed in the heart, right? But um, as a 19 year old kid, but um, I said to him, the biggest mistake you made though wasn't dropping me. I said it was actually bringing me back in for the next game when we lost. <laughs> you should have you, you kept, kept me dropped because I was done anyway. You, you totally killed, you deflated me by that point. I was done. I didn't. I, I'd lost all belief in 
in terms of that I was meant to actually play because we won the game as well. And you're reinstating me. I'm like, why are you reinstating me? But um, yeah, I think you probably look back and probably say, yeah, you're probably right. I wouldn't do that again. So, yeah. but yeah, but look at them. But this, the moral of that story is that he, you know, I was his captain, his most experienced, but did he care? Like he just did what he felt was best and made the hard call. And that was 20 years ago. He was doing that. You know, so he's never afraid to make tough calls. Mm-hmm. Never has done. He'll always make them, you know, and that was, that's what makes him a very, very good manager. 